This week's episode of the Cincy Shirts podcast is brought to you by our partners at Christian Moorline. Check out our entire collection of Moorline apparel, including designs featuring Little Kings, Hootipal, Burger, and more at CincyShirts.com. And just click on the drop-down menu, look for partners, and click on Moorline. And be sure to visit the Moorline Logger House at 115 Joe Nuxall Way in Cincinnati, right next to Great American Ballpark. Now, on with the show. This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC Cincinnati. This is the nation station. again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 100. Today on our show, it's the best of 2019, volume 2. So again, what we've done is we've gone through all of the episodes from 2019 and picked out some choice nuggets from each. And uh, last year, we only did this as a one-hour episode, and we didn't take clips from uh, every episode like we did this year, which was a mistake, I think, because uh, what we were told by some listeners is that, um, yeah, we like the celebrity guests, you know, like Frank Marzullo and Randy Rico and, and people like that, and, and they're great, but we like to hear from people that you don't normally hear from, like maybe a C.F. Payne, who, you know, is a famous artist, but maybe people don't know a lot about him, or even, you know, like a Bob Genheimer from the Museum Center talking about uh, the Native peoples and things like that. So we, you know, all kinds of people like all kinds of episodes, so we decided this year we would take a clip from each episode to kind of give you an indication of what those episodes were about. So again, we're kind of reliving the great moments and or letting you know what you might have missed, and then you can go back and listen or re-listen to those episodes, as the case may be. So if you've been liking the podcast, you can always support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com. Also, if you want to be a sponsor, uh, use that email address as well, certainly. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. We've got a lot of clips to get to, so let's get rolling through uh, part two of the best of 2019. We begin with uh, episode 72. It's Mike Anderson, Cincinnati Reds media director, talking about meeting friend of the Cincy Shirts podcast and uh, one of his longtime idols, Mr. Johnny Bench. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from in a while Cincinnati So a couple days before the event I was told hey you're going to meet Johnny Bench at uh, the WVXU radio studio in downtown Cincinnati he's going to do a bunch of national radio interviews he was calling in to like Mike and Mike calling into ESPN calling into Rome doing all these radio interviews to promote this MOB and DHL national campaign he's like Go down and meet Giant the studio and then take him around to a couple local interviews and then get him out to the Boys and Girls Club uh, in Avondale for this event later in the day. I'm like, I get to work with my boyhood idol. Yeah. Like, I've been at the Reds maybe six months at this time, barely. So I roll up to this uh, WVXU studio and I'm wearing a suit and tie. I'm all dressed, ready to go. And I walk in this conference room where they have, like, the microphone set up for Giant to do these national or telephones to do these national radio interviews. And I walk up to him and, and I introduce myself and I'm Michael, hi, I'm Michael Anderson. I'm with the Reds. I'm going to be helping you with your media tour today. And he looks me up and down and he goes, not wearing that monkey suit you are. 
This was probably one of our favorite episodes of the entire year. In fact, we joked that this episode should just be the best of 2019. It was Pat and Barry, uh, who you know from uh, TV for years and years. And boy, uh, among the great things that happened during the episode, he uh, we've been trying to get Jeff Ruby restaurateur on the podcast, and Josh has tweeted him. I think uh, we had an employee who had an in with him, called him, texted him, and Pat and Barry said, I'll give him a call, and that's just what he did. Jeff's one I've I've been dying to get on this podcast. Oh, why, why not? Why, well, just call him. Yeah, just call him and text him. It's not that easy. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. No, it's not. If you invite him to be on, he'll show I up. I have invited yeah. him to be on. And and, and do you? You need a Jeff Ruby shirt. I would love to do a Jeff yeah. Ruby shirt. Give, give the money. Give the give some profit to his foundation, yeah, and just have a big stake in his face. Yeah. How about that? I've I've reached out on several occasions with no luck. Of getting, uh, getting. Do you want to call him right now? Is that what you want to do? Absolutely. Do oh my gosh, him? that would be. This is a. Uh, is this a first on the show? Yes, I think it is. They would make a live phone. We've call? asked people who the most famous person their phone is, but we've never had Adam. Yeah, ask actually, you that one too. Yeah, it would have been Rodney Dangerfield if he was. Well, he's no longer in my in my phone list. Rodney isn't. But. Um, God, he's gonna hate me even more. <laughs> <laughs> like a voicemail. He might answer. He's smoking a cigar somewhere. <laughs> I never call him. We text a lot. Could be he's in his bus going somewhere. Yeah. It's a new bus, you know. Did he win the UCL Puig poker tournament last night? I saw he was there. Was he? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, because I saw him. It's Jeff Ruby, the nationally acclaimed leader in bar mitzvahs, brain surgeries, and Botox. <laughs> please leave a message. I'm very tied up right now. At the tone, please record your message. When you finish recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Hey, Jeff, Pat Berry calling. I'm just doing a podcast with the guy from Cincy Shirts. You know who they are. The homegrown people that have done a great job. They want to do a shirt with your face on it and a big steak. Because we were just, we started talking about Lucy's in the sky. Anyhow, I just want to call up and, uh, Give you this idea. Could make some money for your foundation. I think it'd be great. Talk to you soon, man. Bye. So, wow. How'd we wow. do? That was fantastic. That was awesome. <laughs> Mike Breen, uh, he was the music editor of City Beat. He is now the managing editor of City Beat. And he stopped by to talk about music and uh, the Alternative Weekly. And he's been with it the entire time. Yeah, I think he's the only person that's been there uh, the entire time. He talked about uh, back before he worked at City Beat, interviewing Mr. Iggy Pop. That that period right before City Beat, um, you know, in New York, you can sit down with these people instead of doing phone interviews. Right. And uh, so I, I talked to X. I talked to Smashing Pumpkins. Um, you'd go up to their, like, major label giant building in downtown New York and you kind of look out the window and see Central Park and stuff. Um, I also interviewed Iggy Pop. Oh, wow. Um, and that was a little more casual where we yeah, yeah. met at a cafe and it was him and Mark Arm from Mud Honey. We did it together yeah, yeah. as a cover story for this magazine that I was working for. And that's like, yeah, that's still like a career highlight, you know. I was going to ask Iggy. who the best, yeah, who the best person you interviewed. Definitely would. Iggy, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. What was he like? Uh, super cool. And like, um, I think looking back and reading things, I think he was on Coke then, had a Coke <laughs> problem, but that, that never wasn't a parrot or anything like that. And I think actually Mark Arm might've been doing heroin <laughs> too. So, but they were both super cool. And Iggy was very much like, uh, 
tried to, he could tell I was incredibly nervous, you know, yeah, yeah. talking to Iggy Pop. Right. He would always kind of stop the interview and go, uh, yeah, but how does the music make you feel? And like trying to make me comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. Oh, how cool. So, yeah, and just a nice guy, yes. The Cowans, who you know from Cowans Auctions, they stopped by, talked about, of course, auctions and, uh, you know, valuable artifacts and things like that. But they also talked about the kind of things people are collecting uh, today that are gaining value, including music posters. Opened at 9.30. I got there at 9.30 and walked right back to the hotel because it was wrapped around the block. I mean, uh you know, people are rabid for that stuff in their own right. It may not be considered an antique, but uh, a Grateful Dead poster from the, I believe it was... Uh, 69, I think. It's the uh, Avalon? I don't recall. It's the one with the Skull and Roses. That just sold for $56,000. Wow. Like, so if my fish posters that I'm going to hold on to, yeah. can, you know, sell for that much someday, someday. that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, again... They're made for, for people just to get a trinket to remember from the concert. You know, that's why all those old posters had, you know, thumbtacks in the corners because people just hung it up in their dorm or oh, yeah. the house. Tom Deshera, the sculptor, he has a space in Essex Studios where we have our warehouse, the Cincy Shirts warehouse. And uh, people know him uh, for the uh, the sculptures outside of the Great American Ballpark, as well as the uh, kind of sculpture slash relief uh pieces he does for the uh, Hall of Fame, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Uh, what I did not know was that he worked on the replacement for Touchdown Jesus out there on I-75, uh, just north of Morrow. Oh, you're saying, like, because he got struck by lightning and yeah, got on yeah, fire. So that's right, from the heavens. Yeah, well, God, so, the yeah, so maybe locusts would have eaten up locusts or, or maybe something. earthquake or... Earthquakes. You know, flooding, you know, I don't know. You know. But from your materials and your contacts yeah. and your your craftsmanship, uh, would would a lightning strike destroy this, any of your sculptures? Yeah, the current one, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the current one. I mean, I guess I shouldn't really say this because you never know mm-hmm. if, you know, God, you know, because I can be saying I'm yeah. boastful that he would want to. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And so I'm going to destroy this hammer of this thing. Yeah, you know? so God can do whatever he wants. He we can all do, know that. Slow that. Yeah, but we know that. Like a yeah. normal, but if you he, know. Yeah, but yeah, an actual, and it, he's actually, is designed so he's not flammable like the previous one. And at the same time, there's a lightning rod that, you know, sticks out of his head. Okay. Initially, I, I talked to the church about doing like a little halo design, so the halo doubles as a, oh, as a uh, which have been cool, but they didn't want a halo design. Yeah. So I'm like, that's cool. So he looks more like Dennis and Menace with a little hair sticking out, <laughs> which is, I think, is still pretty awesome anyway. Corey Ward of Tom and Chi, he's one of the co-founders of that uh, restaurant chain, uh, told us about the pitfalls of franchising. He also told us some interesting advice given to him by one of their Shark Tank backers, Barb Corcoran. Part of my problem, too, I think, was, like, not, I guess, standing up for ourselves to our franchisees because, like, we're new at this. And then, so we're telling somebody, like, the best that we know how to do this as far as, like, you should your restaurant should be in this kind of area and your rent should be this much. And they're like, but I live here and I think my rent should be this much and my, my store should be this big. And you're just like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but they're like, but my store is going to do, like, a million dollars a year in sales. And it's like... Do we have stores that do that? Yes. Is your store going to do that your first year? Probably not. And then you try to tell them, and they just don't believe you. <laughs> and at some point, you just like, I said, we're new at this, and we're like, maybe we're wrong. Maybe I don't know that area. Maybe that person is going to open a store, and it's going to do like a million dollars. And then it opens, and like the first three months, you're like, they're going to do their million dollars a year. And then they don't. <laughs> and then they, they fall off. So where's Barbara during all this? 
She's in New York. Now, Barbara's, um, she was along for the I whole mean, ride. I mean, she, she copper her on that 3 a.m. frantic email? Like, yeah. here's what's going on, lady? Yeah, I mean, she knew, and, like, she had some advice, like, um, as the, as things were getting bad, and the end was, like, well, not the end of the company, because the end company's still alive and well, and opening stores, but, um, when we were kind of getting down to, like, to our end of it, um, she, we did have a conference call with her, and it was like it was a very odd because you're expecting some like some crazy advice to like save the company and stuff, and she's just like, just quit, <laughs> just like just walk away. Our old pal Ronnie Salerno stopped by again to discuss abandoned stuff, and we geeked out a little bit on the uh, Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport and some of the uh, cool abandoned and torn down stuff there. And now it's the airport's not really dying; no, it's, it's thriving. Right, so. I mean, the first time we went there, Terminal 1's there, Terminal 2's there, and we had a source who had access to these areas, was mm-hmm. able to bring us in. We checked out Terminal 1, not being used. There's a couple planes, like, sitting there. It was, like, middle of the winter. Some FedEx used to use it. Yeah, there's some FedEx yep. stuff there. Very, very interesting. Then, you know, we're at Terminal 2, where we, we were in the old Delta Crown Room that still had, like, liquor oh. sitting on the shelf, and everything's covered in dust, and oh, Delta man. wasn't using it anymore. Yeah. And then a few years later, we got to do Concourse C, and uh, our source who brought us in, like, we're kind of, I mean, it was really, really weird because airports have such high security. Yeah. We, we get to go in, we go out to Concourse C, and I remember as a kid, like, that McDonald's, like, way over in line. Yeah, yeah. Had to have hash browns. And, packed. Yeah, and now it's just, just barren. Yep. And there, there's luggage everywhere because the airport cops will hide things in the luggage and you right. have to train the dogs. Yep. So, yeah, that's, that's been another popular article on the website is the, the stories about the airport and when we've been able to photograph those. UC legend Tony Pike discussed the famous Pike to Ben's play and how it's resonated with fans all these years on. I'm looking at the sideline and, like, getting the next play, and I see Zach Calaris warming up behind the coach. Like, <laughs> oh, I got about one more series here, and then they're going to pull me. And then things just started to click in the second half, and we got on one of those rolls, and... And it we, was awesome. Yeah. I, I enjoy more of stuff like like your stories because there's so many like that I come across with different people of, I remember exactly where I was for that game. I remember what we were doing. We stopped everything. Or I remember like there were friends of mine that left the game, like came to Pittsburgh for the game and left early because they're like, oh, Tony just doesn't have it today. My own buddies. <laughs> so like they miss and like they watch the end of the game in Pittsburgh bars. But to hear, like, their stories from the Pittsburgh bars where, like, they're the only UC fans. <laughs> and you got to imagine a Pittsburgh bar, like, yeah. up 31 to 10. Yeah. As a, yeah. So to come back from that, I remember in the third quarter they played Sweet Caroline throughout the stadium. And it was the loudest. Like, the stadium was shaking. And I was just like, wow, this is pretty cool. And we just, you know, pieced it together, pieced it together, pieced it together. And then, you know, to, to make the last drive and, and to win the game and, you know, the whole – I never thought, you know, the whole Pike to Benz thing, like it's bigger today than it was then. We talked about housing in Cincinnati, which on paper might not have seemed interesting, but I, I was fascinated. And one of the things I was fascinated about, and Ben Fry and Mike Hines were kind enough to, to come by. One was in the real estate business, one is in the construction business. And I was noticing how in uh, places like Madeira and Kenwood particularly, you see a lot of like uh, post-war houses being torn down and brand new houses being put up as opposed to people moving way out into the suburbs, into the Butler and Warren County and building bigger houses there. They're staying in Hamilton County. And I just thought that was interesting. And I wonder what was kind of behind that what some of the rules are for that 
You always have setbacks, right? Yeah, downtown, um, a lot of times they want you to be kind of similar to other buildings. Okay. The building's next to you is two-story. You can't go four. All right. Um, So they they always want similar. Um, I'm not too familiar with the zoning codes in Madeira or anywhere there because we haven't built there, but I'm sure is it probably the same? It is. They just changed the setbacks. Um, So it was, I think, seven and a half, and they choose them to eight, but there was overhangs in there, so it's kind of complex there. But then there's a percentage. Madeira has, has, I think they still do. but they had a percentage of how much of the footprint you could take up. Uh-huh. I think it used to be 28%. Don't quote me on it because it could be off. Yeah, yeah. So you could only build on 28% of the, the lot. Oh, so every, wow. But everywhere is different. You go from yeah. Madeira yeah. to Madeira or from Madeira to Montgomery to downtown, and it's all different. And then you get into the little nuances of the zoning code. Oh, hillside and then street by street. I mean, it yeah. Can, it's, yeah. It's, it's a full-time job to keep up with that stuff. That's why it takes – in the city of Cincinnati, it takes, what, four months, six months? Some, and I'm sorry, four, four weeks to six weeks sometimes to get a permit. Pat Sheeran co-founded Brouhaha, the annual comedy and beer festival on the riverfront, and he told a hilarious story about the year Tom Green headlined. About a year later, um, I, uh, I'm with one of my partners, Mike, and, and Mike said, do you remember uh, about a year ago when we couldn't find Tom Green to go on stage? And I said, vaguely, you know, because I'm always You're off doing other yeah. things. And, uh, and he said, well, he said, you know, we had that band open up prior to him. And when they were finished, they couldn't find Tom Green. So the guys from the band spread out and tried to find him in different parts of the park. He said, and one, one of the band members found him in the bushes with a woman, you know, <laughs> and, and they were having fun. And, uh, and Tom Green looked up and he goes... I'm going to need about one more minute. <laughs> what a and I thought, you know, now that's when you're famous, you know. That's a lot. Yeah, because he hasn't even gone on stage right, yet. Right, right. Alex Leeds sends drawings to celebrities, but they're kind of quirky. They're, uh, it's hard to explain. I'll listen to the whole episode. But he kind of told his philosophy about the drawings and what he does with them. Because I also try not to send anything in bad taste. I like, because, I mean, when you're doing a joke, sometimes it can, and certain yeah, like celebrities. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence one could have gone real side. Yeah, 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 yeah. I try not to do something in bad taste just because, I don't know, I for one, less chance that they sign it. But then, I don't know, I think it's funnier to do something goofy. You well, should do one of Josh and have Darren sign it. <laughs> yeah, <there you laughs> That's go. a good one. <laughs> the brains. The new shirt of it. And it all comes I'm looking at Michael Buble. Mm-hmm. Now, the drawing you sent was signed, Great Drawing, Alex. Thank you, Team, Team. Bubble. Bubble. Yeah. But I he, guess Buble. He didn't, yeah, he didn't actually sign it. But there was a signed 8x10 in there. There was, it. yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I do. That's, that's a strange I, one. I got one from uh, Bill Belichick. I sent a drawing of the Stanley Cup, and he sent back, <laughs> he sent back a signed 8x10 as well. Yeah, I didn't really yeah, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Mario Kart, signed by uh, Mario Andretti. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Kevin Bacon signed Baconator sandwich from Wendy's. Yeah. yeah. I got I got brought that. I actually got two of those signed. I uh. Oh my god. Yeah. So I have two different Baconators. Ed Hardy signed of the drawing of the Hardy Boys wrestlers. That might be my favorite. 
Lauren Worley is the uh, communications person for the Cincinnati Public Schools. She previously worked for NASA. Uh, she was one of my favorite guests because she's a pretty girl who likes space. And uh, unfortunately, she's a Star Wars fan. But boy, if she'd been a Star Trek fan, I, I don't know what I would have done. I would have had to call my wife and say, I, I think I'm, I'm leaving you. <laughs> but anyway, Lauren talked about not only about NASA and Cincinnati Public Schools, but also about working on political campaigns and meeting one Bono Vox of the rock and roll band U2. One of the two toy hoarders, uh, Sean Lumkill, stopped by the Cincy Podcast studios there in Hyde Park and discussed uh, receiving probably what is the greatest or the most prized possession in their collection and how they came upon it. If you just look at meaning for the collection, so we would always go to Trader's World growing up back when they had tons of Star Wars stuff there. And I remember... You know, we the one figure we always wanted was a yak face. It looks like Joe Cam- uh, Joe, Joe Camel, Camel. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, <laughs> it was a figure that was never released in the states. It was up in Canada. It was overseas for whatever reason. They just it never it never came to be in, in uh, the United Wasn't States. Wasn't a mail in? I thought you could mail in. No, not not the yak face. No, if you have one like a mailer, I mean it's super valuable and rare just because there's very few of those that exist. I did. And those were I think those were overseas, but. We wanted one really bad, and um, for Christmas one year, like, that's all we wanted. And my grandma always did, like, one big gift for my brother and I. You know, we'd split it 50-50. And so one of the times we, I guess it was right around Christmas, we went to Trader's World, and there was a guy named Don Gibbs who was our he was our dealer. He was our toy dealer up there. And he gave... <laughs> this one's free, kid. He slipped my... He slipped my... Yeah, exactly. I wish the stuff was free back then. Jeez. He slipped my parents a business card on the back of the business card says, I have a yak face coming in tomorrow, $150. Give me a call or something. And I didn't know this at the time. He gave it to my parents and my parents went back the next day without us. I don't remember how this happened, but they bought it. And my grandma ended up giving it to us for Christmas. And I remember it was this little box. We opened it and we both were like the O moment like we just didn't expect it we saw it and it just kind of like stunned us like whoa and, and i think that was probably the most excited i've been as a kid it just from what i can remember of, of being a collector of anything nate pelly from the cincinnati library came by and people love to hear about things that are haunted of course we've had uh you know the haunted cincinnati guy on twice we've had uh in other conversations about hauntings uh for arnold's we had one in the uh last best of episode there the previous week we that was one of the highlights from from uh that episode and of course library no exception it's not a super old building but nate says he still had some kind of an experience there i'll tell you a really quick story one of my my favorite stories to tell about working in the closed stack area there. Um, I was working, this was many years ago, I want to say like on a Wednesday night, and it was pretty slow. And I was shelving some books in what would be the occult section. And there was a book about demonology. And I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. I've always been like ghost stories and stuff like that. So I'm kind of like flipping through it or whatever. All of a sudden the lights go out. And this is probably in the winter time, I'm guessing, because, I mean, the lights went out and there was no natural light coming in at all. And I got this book in my hands about, you know, demons and possession. And I'm like, whoa. Uh. <laughs> so that shit haunted. Yeah, I don't remember if our haunted Cincinnati guy said at the library was haunted. Well, I remember, well, the first scene of Ghostbusters takes place in the library. It does, true. So yeah. figuring that, uh, you know, that was based on fact, then ours has to, <laughs> ours has to be haunted. You, you know what's funny is I have seen uh, a couple stories about the library being haunted as far as, like, 
having a reputation among staff or anything like that. I've never heard a story of a ghost or anything like that, honestly. Okay. Hmm. So. Huh. So what happened with your occult book? Did, <laughs> did it catch on fire and it, it give did you not the light it, to get out of there? About 30 seconds later, the, uh, you know, the emergency <clears throat> power kicked on and I was like, okay, we're just going to put that back on the shelf and I'm going to go back over here where there's, you know, some wow. light. But yeah, it kind of freaked me out there for a second. I'm was not, that in like the nonfiction section? Oh, yeah. Or was that yeah, in it's, sci-fi? It's, Maybe it's, it didn't it's, like its categorization. <laughs> it, it's considered nonfiction. And, you know, that, that's, you know, one thing that I find really interesting is a lot of the, you know, the occult books and, you know, ghosts and things like that, they're classified as nonfiction. So, hmm. yeah. Take that for what you will. Everett Fitzhugh, the voice of the Cincinnati Cyclones, discussing the other teams that have played in Cincinnati over the years. They've been able to field a hockey team for the most part, like you said, since the 80s. The Cyclones have had three different franchises, ECHL, IHL, and then now back in the ECHL again. So those Mighty Mighty Ducks were in there. Who was the, who was the, in one of the 80s? The Stingers were the 70s. Yep, Stingers okay. were the 70s. And then we had the Tigers well, for a season okay. in the 80s, and then that was they were the Central Hockey League. Yep. And the Cyclones came along in the late 80s, and then the Ducks were concurrently here at the same, which I wanted to get to, which yeah. was interesting. Oh, the, the Ducks were here at the same time. Yeah, yeah, they, you don't, don't you read the blog? <laughs> I wrote a blog I the Ducks this. were here. I just figured yeah. they left there. I just changed their logo to the that's, Cyclones. That's what no. the first blog post I wrote. They played at the Gardens. Well, I'm glad we're learning something today, The fellas. Ducks played at the Gardens, yep. <laughs> and the Cyclones played downtown, and they would both draw 3,000 fans yeah. a game. And people were scratching and well, why can't we just have one team that draws 6,000 fans? Mm-hmm. And it's still difficult to do that. And the Ducks the Ducks were actually the American Hockey League, the AAA team. So they were they were the, they were were the one step below uh, the NHL. And they were playing at the Gardens, and we were playing at the, was it U.S.? No, what was it back then? The first uh, the crown. star. The star. The crown, and then the first star. Okay, center. the crown. So yeah, we were still playing right downtown there. And again, like, like he said, from the stories that I've heard, you know, ducks are at home on a Friday. We're at home on a Friday, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand at both. So you've got ten thousand hockey fans right there in Cincinnati, yeah, at wow. the same time yep. cheering on two different teams. Exact metrology. Well, they do uh, more sort of construction-related measuring and laser measuring things. That's, that, I would say that's most of their business. But they've also been called in to do some interesting work uh, in the archaeology field. La Mirada. The place with the the school that we brought supplies to. This guy happened to hear that an archaeologist was coming, and he brought a picture of this um, weird head, like head carving. Crystal skull. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And all of a sudden, Daniel gets super excited. It's like, but he's trying not to show it. You know, he's like, "Oh wow, can we see that tomorrow? Can we scan that?" You know, <laughs> it's like, and the guy's really um, hesitant because he, you know, he's like, "What does this guy want to take pictures of this thing for?" Like, and uh, long story short, because it rained, we couldn't go there and scan it. But that head is a key player in things around it, right? That might be a great way for them to tie the timelines together because i guess the, the head is from some group in time and then the monolith carvings are from some other group in time but they have common features uh that they're trying to tie together hmm. uh, in fact at the the studies we're going to be um scanning that for the archaeologists so they can see the tech and kind of get introduced to the 3d world a little bit more 
Tom Jeckering from Northside, he's the head of the Northside Business Association. Uh, he was in the Hyde Park studios to discuss the great neighborhood of Northside and why people are digging it so much. And he had an interesting tale to tell about how Walgreens uh, tried to come into Northside and Northside more than happy to have them. They just wanted to make a few adjustments, uh, you know, so it still fit in nicely to their neighborhood. Uh, Walgreens said no. Tom explains. The objection we had to Walgreens was the fact that they wanted to set the Walgreens back you know, 150 feet off of Hamilton Avenue, put a big parking lot in front. And, um, you know, it was right across the street from Hofner Park. And, and one of our goals at our land use plan was to bring the first block of Hamilton Avenue Business District in with the remaining blocks to kind of bridge those. And we wanted something at, at the streetscape in that Myron Johnson site that probably provided that connector. In other words, we had a missing tooth on the other side of the street with Hofner Park, which was an asset, but we didn't want another missing tooth and, and separate those, that business district. You know, we wanted to, to, to reunite the business district back together. And if we had a retail base that was, you know, present on the street like we have today, that connects that first block with the remaining blocks of the business district was what we wanted from a, from a planning standpoint. It's weird Walgreens wouldn't come back and say, oh, well, then what can we do? Because some places do do that. I know like Target, like we, were, we had this discussion a while back, you know, the Target and Buckhead in Atlanta. It's a two-story to fit into the neighborhood. And we showed Walgreens all kind of images yeah. of, of what we would accept. You know, bring the building to the front, make it a two-story, put the parking in back. But we were told by Walgreens that, and this is true for many retail stores throughout the country these days, is that they want the Prell shampoo to be on the right-hand side of aisle three in every Walgreens store across the country. They want the greeting cards to be in the same place in every Walgreens store across the country. And it's to address the mindset of the American consumer that when you go into a Walgreens store and you want to get Pearl shampoo or greeting cards, if you cannot find them within the 30 seconds that your mind is looking for it, that half the people will walk out of the store and not buy the stuff versus try to find it. <laughs> and we were told that by Walgreens That's corporate. Zach Wyckoff, uh, well, you know him for all kinds of things. He's a comedian. Uh, he was on our shirt to head the for the FC Cincinnati first uh, point ever in MLS, which people got a little upset with. And he's also a parole officer, so he discussed his day job a little bit with us and told us what that was like. Let's go on a day in the life of a probation officer. Yeah. So, so what? You're you're just someone's buddy, and they have to check in with you and say, "Hey, here I am. I'm over yeah. here." That's uh, it. Often ends up in me being too nice. I'm like, I'm I'm way too nice to do this uh, for sure. Like, I remember one time a guy came in. He was like, "You know what, man, Zach? You're like the coolest PO of all time." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's I I I rode that high for weeks." Uh, and it was only later that I realized he told me that because I'd forgotten to dress to uh, drug test him for like three weeks in a row. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> that's probably why I thought I was super cool. So it's just I'm. Sometimes bad at my job. <laughs> Jason Vaughn, the CEO of Big Boy, tells us uh, the origin of the Big Boy sandwich. And many tri-staters probably know that the Big Boy precedes the Big Mac. But in case you don't or you don't know the details, here they are. Bob Wine, a gentleman out in California, started Big Boy. There is a young man that used to work for him that he was a little big. And that's how Big Boy came. He literally would call this young man, he's a big boy. So he, uh, he had an inspiration, right? Hmm. And back in the day, right, that was that was okay. And so that how that's how Big Boy came about. And Dave Frisch went out to California to talk to Bob Wine about I want to run some of these restaurants. So 
what you're eating is the first double-decker sandwich. It wasn't McDonald's. It wasn't Hardee's. Big Boy was the first double-decker sandwich created. Elizabeth Pierce, the CEO of the Museum Center, explains to us uh, a misconception about the museum. This is what I had. I thought when you go downstairs in the Museum Center, you're going down, down, down into the basement. Uh, but that is not true. Right. So it goes three floors down. There is no basement at Union Terminal. The lower level of Union Terminal is on grade at Dalton Street. So the building is really built up. And you don't really realize when you're walking in from the parking lot that you are essentially walking up two stories into the concourse. And the fountain there is a roof to a third of the building. And the fountain sits over top of the Natural History Museum and the Children's Museum. And Dalton Street drives underneath of it. So that's that was a major part of the renovation oh, wow. was like the removal in there, huh? of pieces of the fountain all the way down to the structural decking to waterproof all of that. Uh, and then massive pieces of construction equipment putting the limestone back in. So what's the, the bottom floor the, the, for the public? Is it the special exhibits area and the Children's Museum? Is that all on the it's ground? That's on the lower level. And then it's the, it's the uh, lower level of science and history as well. Okay. And one of the changes that we've made with all of this is that we now have entrances to those museums on the lower level. Eddie Fingers, radio legend, discusses how he became, well, the person, the persona, I guess you would say, of Eddie Fingers, how that developed. And and Bo kept giving me shit about, you know, God, come on, man, you got a good... So his daughter was an intern there, and uh, there was a bunch of us having lunch one day, and she... She said to me, she goes, you know, my dad kind of is a little disappointed in you right now. He, he really wants you to take it up. He thinks you're being a bit of a puss. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, does he now? <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that let the cat out of the bag. Because once I heard that, I'm like, all right, you want it, man. And I just went, now I'm going to 11. So, and, and we did and didn't look back. Bob Genheim from the Cincinnati Museum Center discussing native peoples. This is one of my favorite episodes. I, I love this subject. I could talk about this for hours, and um, and we almost did. But anyway, he explains uh, about who all the different native peoples were that were in the area uh, pre, well, pre and post uh, Columbus, I guess. And um, he, we start with the uh, Adena, and he just kind of explains the uh, chronology. Um, okay. And Adena is famous for their mounds. So, um, you know, we know much less about how they live. We know a lot more about how they buried people. <laughs> um, and some of the biggest mounds around here are Adena. Uh, so there was one in Sailor Park that was uh, 27 feet tall, uh, which is uh, long gone. The, the, one, the biggest one is still here is the Miamisburg Mound up uh, just to the west of Dayton. Uh, if you get off at the Miamisburg exit, go down there. I believe that one is 67 feet high. Wow. It's big. You can see it for miles away because it sits way above the landform. There were others. There's one in West Virginia that's a little taller, maybe 68 or 69 feet. Uh, But they're known for these big mounds. There was another one in Newtown that was 39 feet uh, where the Ivy Hills golf course is now. So so the Dina mounds are big mounds. And then... Somewhere around the birth of Christ, 180 somewhere, uh, we, we have what we call Hopewell. Doc Wolf, Gary Burbank's sidekick, uh, he revealed a little secret to us. When uh, Gilbert Gnarly, that's uh, one of Gary's most popular characters, would call people, uh, you know, it, the, the joke really wasn't on them. 
The joke, of course, was Gilbert was this confused old man, and the people just wanted to help him. But just in case people felt bad, uh, well, Doc explains what they did. Well, when, uh, Gilbert Gnarly, who was, you know, the, the, the census survey is something that people can get grasp on and understand what it's for. Gilbert Gnarly, on the other hand, was a character that, that in all honesty, people... People don't realize that it's like if you tried to do, if, if he, Gary tried to do Earl Pitts doing that same thing, he would have gotten nowhere with it. But Gilbert was this helpless old guy. <laughs> yeah. Everybody just wanted to help him, you know? <laughs> and he had called, uh, it was back when uh, American Express was advertising for, uh, if you lose your traveler's checks, you get them back free. And he called up and he's, real excited and he's saying saying yeah i just lost all my traveler's checks playing kino he's going blackjack is next can i get my (laughs) and the woman the woman was like look sir you know that's not how this works and he goes you mean you mean i don't get him back and he goes but but it's like all my spent all my money and and he's going he's going well the, I'm sure the casino would understand if if I told him I'll pay him back later. She's going, yeah, right. But but with a few of those people, I actually called him back. Said, "Hey, I'm his I'm his grandson, and I just want to let you know everything worked out okay." And, that's uh, that's really funny that you did huh. that. Well, it's there. If somebody if get one of Gary's beliefs about radio is you shouldn't do something that that actually leaves people in grief. Unless they really deserve it, you know, yeah. a city councilman and you call him a name, well, they deserve it, you know, but if you go back and you're talking to somebody on the phone that you completely don't know and they're, you know, it, that it's a good idea if, if you feel they're in distress, call them back and just say, hey, that everything's okay. He never would, he never admit that it was a prank, you know, yeah. we would just call him back and pretend like it was, it was all all right. Zach from Luckman Coffee stopped by. Uh, he explained to us that uh, the the chain is actually three stores big, uh, two in Cincinnati, one in Seattle. Steve Luckman founded it. Uh, Zach bought the uh, one store on the Beachmont Levee there, and uh, another gal owns the one on 8 Mile Road there. And anyway, we went through this whole interview talking about coffee and all, all things coffee and the, what's the best coffee, how to make the work comes from and all that stuff. And with 10 minutes to go, he dropped this bomb on us. He was a, a pop star back in the 90s. Uh, he tells the story here. When we were real little... We were a Beatles oh, cover band. Oh, okay. So we th- that band has actually been together since 1998. I was going to say, I think I remember you guys Probably. getting, yeah, yeah. From, back, <laughs> from the township. Okay. Yeah, so we've wow. been around for a very long time, and that's why I look way older than 30. Oh, man, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms you could open up right there yes. with the uh, with the Beatles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the interest in the Beatles, how did that come about? Uh... <laughs> I hate to admit it, but when we were real little, or not real little, but I was seven, uh, and... This is roughly what year? 1997. Okay. Uh, and so we, I think our mom liked the band Hanson. Okay. And so we kind of liked him, and then our dad said, let me play the Hanson from my day, and he, uh, made us listen to Meet the Beatles, and then we just got really into the Beatles, and then that kind of evolved into liking all kinds of classic rock. And so now we kind of, that band plays... Just, I mean, I always say we play what we like, which is yeah. mostly classic rock, like 60s, 70s mm-hmm. kind of stuff. 
Regina Carswell Russo, you remember from uh, mostly from Fox 19, I reckon, uh, as a reporter, and uh, she was telling us about uh, one of her first for one of the first stories she covered uh, was uh, interviewing a white supremacist, and she kind of reflects on the uh, on that and how controversial it was, and whether or not she would have done it today. We were uh, charged with finding out what the connection was was with this white supremacist group that was in Wilmington, Ohio, and so the news director wanted me to go there because we found out who the the grand wizard or the the the, the lead dude right yeah talked to him so they set up this Back interview up, can't wait <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> listen again this was Jeez. like when i was young and stupid and like i'm a reporter i'm i'm a dogged reporter yeah. i'll i'll you know you I'll, to purdue you got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly i'll get this Say story the first grand <laughs> wizard you get in contact with <laughs> You get coffee all the time with the local. <laughs> so, but, that, but that's how my lens, right? Yeah. Like literally if having information and another level of understanding, I would have done things, probably would have done things differently. Because part of the reason why I know that they wanted me to do it, because I was a dogged reporter. Like I could ask the good questions. I could do. But then it occurred to me, but not till very down the road, that it's just really provocative and salacious to send a black woman into the lion's den of white supremacist men, right? Like, how does optically, how does that look? That would bring anybody to the TV station, right? So I think that if I, I wouldn't have done that story today, because I don't think I would have been used that way, mm-hmm. right? I didn't feel like I was being used then. I felt like they were giving me the toughest story because I was the toughest reporter. Illustrator Lauren Long, he illustrates children's books, uh, including not only ones he's done and uh, authored and illustrated, but he's done them for Madonna and Barack Obama. Here he tells us about meeting the Obamas. I had no contact with him um, until after the book came out, but... um. It was great. It was a cool experience, you know. So you met him when he was still a senator? No, he was he was president. Oh, yeah. was it, oh it published okay. in it published in two thousand ten. So I met him okay. uh, I met him in, in two thousand and eleven after okay. the book published. They had had it, it's Where crazy. was that? Where was it, it was in the Oval Office. It was Really? Oh, yeah, I have photos. Wow. Yeah, it was it was cool, man. It hey, was, Lauren, you want to come to Washington no, D.C.? No, it was that they said they said <laughs> we can't guarantee anything. Random House, great, great people. Again, this book, number one bestseller, you know, big selling book, still written by the President of the United States, published while he was in office by you know arguably the most historic president we'll ever have. Yeah, that's insane. And he he, uh, this is what I tell kids. It's like. You never know who's watching. The Ohio Kings are our newest pro basketball team. One of their owners is Kevin Aldridge. He works for the Inquirer, but he also is, again, on the ownership team of the Ohio Kings. They're in the American Basketball Association, not related to the American Basketball Association... Not related to the American Basketball Association of the 70s, but the name was inspired by that league. And Kevin explains to us uh, the structure of the current American Basketball Association. And that puts a bow on 2019. We have more great guests coming in 2020, of course. And there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast. Just drop us an email, podcast at cincyshirts.com, and put podcast guest in the subject line. 
Uh, you can use that same email to donate to the podcast via PayPal or Venmo or to express your interest in sponsoring the podcast if you have a business of some such you'd like us to promote. We have about 10,000 weekly listeners, all Cincinnati-focused, if that gives you an idea of uh, where your dollars would be going. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, of course, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. If you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Of course, you heard a lot of great stuff back there. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing, who are actually from Philadelphia. You can find all of their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Uh, visit our sibling site, OldSchoolShirts.com. It's like Cincy Shirts, but for other towns. You've got about another 20 towns in there, I reckon. And it's get old sports teams, restaurants, malls, that kind of thing. Uh, again, like Cincy Shirts, but for those particular towns. Uh, let me see. The promo code for this episode is BEST OF 2019. We'll keep the same one as we did last week. There you go. All one word, all lowercase, all uppercase, alternate. Uh, upper and lowercase doesn't matter. It will still work. Best of 2019. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Uh, you can also use that code in our physical or brick and mortar stores in Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Loveland. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. Hey!